Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today is episode 495. Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Let's read our passage. Now I, Paul, myself appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is Second Corinthians. This is a letter Paul sending to Corinth. He has had an ongoing relationship with Corinth. He went there on his second missionary journey and founded the church. Spent 18 months there. Left and on the third missionary journey. Sometime while he was in Ephesus, he sent them a letter. Then he sent them a follow-up letter, which we know is 1 Corinthians, in which he dealt with a lot of problems in the church. And then Timothy came back to Ephesus and reported that the problems weren't really getting fixed. So Paul made a quick trip there, but it didn't go well. There was a lot of uh, ugly opposition, and Paul left. And then after back in Ephesus, he sent the tearful letter and sent Titus to carry that letter to Corinth in which he laid out their bad behavior and what they needed to do. Paul left Ephesus, went to Macedonia. Titus finished his time in Corinth and went up to Macedonia, linked up with Paul, and reported that there'd been a turnaround in the church. The church, by and large, was supportive of him now. There's still quite a few who were not on board with Paul yet. And so the reason for this letter is to... Try and restore that relationship. So he's talked a lot about his ministry as an apostle. And then he started into the things about them. Chapters 8 and 9 were all about the collection to the church in Jerusalem for the poor people there. Now he's finished that and he's continuing with the thought of getting the church ready for Paul's visit there. Paul does intend to go there. And this will be his final visit to them. He he doesn't know that for sure, but it's still some time down the road. But he wants them to be fully ready before he gets there. So chapter 10, starting with verse 1, he says, Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We're really launching into the main part of the letter here, where he's really laying it out for what they need to do. He was defending himself, his ministry, talking about the collection, which is important to him. Now he's getting to the part of them and what they need to do, what he really thinks they need to do before he gets there. So now he's making this appeal. He says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And they go, okay, that's an interesting way to introduce this section. But this goes along with what he has been charged with or accused of by some people. 
And that's what he actually deals with here in this next phrase. He says, I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent. Now he's describing himself here, but I think he's really echoing one of their accusations, or at least some people's accusation. Well, when he's here, he's really nothing impressive. There's nothing about him that would impress anybody. But when he's not here, boy, he sure knows how to send some nasty letters. So, yeah, he's all talk. He's a paper apostle in that he just sends nasty letters. He's not really very impressive once you actually see him and get to be around him. Then you think, what's the big deal with this dude? So, but he owns that. I am humble among you in person, but bold toward you in absent. But that humble, that is following the example of Jesus Christ. Meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, by and large, was a, a meek and gentle guy. He wasn't a milk toast. It wasn't like he was a pushover. He just wasn't a pushy guy. Now, the times were, yeah, he did get pretty, well, up in arms about things. Like when he gets to the temple and there's all this crazy stuff going on with buying and selling and people making a profit off the temple. Yeah, he got pretty incensed about that. But generally, he was a pretty laid-back, nice guy. Meek and gentle. And Paul says, that's the way I am. I'm a humble guy. I'm a meek and gentle guy when I'm around you. And yeah, I do know how to send a flaming letter or two. He's all in verse 2. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I play in the challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. Well, here he says, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a humble guy. I can't be bold when I send letters. I don't think you'll want me to be bold when I'm there in person. And I really want you to fix these problems that you got before I get there so I don't have to be bold when I get there. He says, like, I plan to be bold when I challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. Now, what is this? I think the best way to understand this is, particularly based on what he says in, in the next couple of verses, living according to the flesh. First blush, you kind of think, does that mean living in some kind of wild lifestyle? I think that means living without the spirit. So often he's contrasting flesh versus spirit. Living by the flesh, not necessarily living wildly, but living by worldly wisdom, living by our own smarts and our own abilities. That would be living according to the flesh without the power of the spirit. And that may be part of this accusation against him in that, well, he sure doesn't look like he's got much Holy Spirit around him. He's just a very unimpressive guy. We think our apostles ought to be more impressive than that. But he says, I plan to challenge certain people who think we're living according to the flesh. Who are these certain people? He'd say, obviously, the Corinthian church would know the people who are saying that he's living according to the flesh. And verse 3, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. So here he's given this contrast between the spirit and the flesh. Yeah, we live in the flesh. We're flesh and blood. We're people. 
nothing special about us, but we don't wage war according to the flesh. Verse 4, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Harry is definitely making the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. So we don't use the weapons of the world. We use spiritual weapons. And the warfare, what's he talking about warfare? The doing, proclaiming the gospel in a hostile world. That's the warfare he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that there, there's natural pushback from the flesh against the things of the spirit. That's the warfare that he's waging. He mentions weapons that are not of the flesh, but are powerful for you. He doesn't say what these weapons are. And he's mentioned earlier back in chapter 6, verse 7, he talked about the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and left hand. He didn't define those either. You know, the imagery there is like uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about the, the shield and the sword. That would be what's in your right hand, left hand, as far as warfare goes. And one hands the shield. In Ephesians 6, he says it's the shield of faith. And the right hand is, or the other hand is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's a good way to think about it. And that's not the weapons of the flesh. That's weapon of faith, or weapon of the Word of God. But it can demolish strongholds. And what are strongholds? Places that are resistant to penetration by the power of God, resistant to the Word, resistance to the Gospel. But these weapons, whatever they are, he doesn't list them, he doesn't define them. It's simply not definable. What are we talking about? We're talking about proclaiming the Word of God. We're talking about having the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, living according to the Spirit. That's the warfare he's talking about here. It goes on and says, We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how does he describe the, the warfare? The, the warfare that he's engaged in? Well, there's the demolition of strongholds demolishing arguments and proud things, take every thought captive, and then verse 6, ready to punish. So this is the description of the warfare he's talking about. And it's not that each one of those things can necessarily be defined, but we get the feeling of what he's talking about. Strongholds are places just resistant to the gospel, but the power of God can overcome them. Arguments, those would be worldly arguments based on worldly wisdom or false doctrine. The, the Word of God can demolish those. Proud things that are raised up. Now, there's a wordplay going on here that we lose in English. Because what gets translated as proud thing is actually a high thing, a raised up thing. And so what do you do with a raised up thing? You knock it down. And demolish, the, the word there literally means to pull down. So we're pulling down the high things. Things that are raised up, we're pulling them back down. And what's raised up? Well, just anything that gets elevated above what it should be elevated. Things that people look up to that are not God. And these are raised up against the knowledge of God. And then we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Number six. We're ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. 
That's worded kind of awkwardly. Let's start with once your obedience is complete. So there shouldn't be any disobedience once your obedience is complete. I, I think what he means there is once you've gone as far as you're going to go, as far as a church goes in obedience, at that point, there's some people who just flat aren't going to go any further. And the goal is complete obedience. The goal is for the whole church to come around and align with the Word of God, aligned with Paul, aligned with God. And that's the goal, to be complete that way. But we know it's not going to happen. So once it's as far as it's going to go, then Paul says we're going to punish those that aren't going to go the rest of the way. Doesn't define anything here. Who is it that he's going to punish? Well, he talks about different groups in this letter, some directly, some indirectly. Okay, some outsiders who've shown up. He's going to talk more about them in the next couple of chapters, these super apostles. And we know he's dealing with some Judaizers. So is that who he's going to punish? I don't think so, because he's talking about the church itself here. So I think he's talking about people within the church that he's going to deal with. I think based on the context, he's basically talking about those that are saying, that we're living according to the flesh. Now, that's such a terrible thing to say we're living according to the flesh. Am I so sensitive and insecure that I have to punish people that say that about me? Well, these are people who are basically denying that Paul is living by the Spirit, that Paul represents God and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to compare who's got a lot of Holy Spirit going in them, Paul would be pretty high up on the list. The people who are denying that They'll come around. Yeah, they're going to be in trouble. He doesn't say what punishment looks like. You're going to kick him out of the church? Doesn't say. You know, leave it up to the church? You know, earlier he talked about the, the sinner who was dealt with by the majority. And it seemed like the, whatever they did worked. And it was time now to uh, restore him. And that's not the point. The point's not to give us a tutorial on how to punish people. What he's talking about here is the idea that his desire is for them to fully embrace him, fully embrace the Lord, fully embrace God's plan, and be essentially complete in obedience. That's his goal, but he knows it's not going to get there. So when it's as far as it's going to go, there's going to be some punishment. So Paul here is beginning this argument about getting the church ready for him to show up. And he said here again here, I, I don't want to show up and have to drop the hammer on people. I want to show up and have some of these problems already dealt with so I can encourage you, I can guide you, I can bless you and spend as much time as I need to and then move on to another church. I'm not called to come and clean up churches. I'm called to lead churches forward. So you got some issues you need to deal with, deal with them. And so he's beginning that process here. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through 2 Corinthians.